Would you take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to Philippians chapter 4? Philippians chapter 4. We go there together. We've been gathering the ingredients for contentment in the Christian life. What does contentment look like in the life of a believer and follower of Jesus Christ? We've been seeing what it looks like in the Christian life, in the life and ministry and the words of Paul here in Philippians 4. This is God's word, of course, penned by Paul. God moved Paul to pen these words for not only the sake of the Philippian believers that received this letter, but for God's church through all time, for our needs today, we have these words. We saw in verse 10 that the content believer in Jesus will be confident in God. Paul knew that though the Philippian believers were unable at times to be of assistance to him, that it was never out of God's hands. His needs were in God's hands. God is sovereign. God is completely in control. He will provide for very real needs. And Paul knew this. And so he wasn't overly concerned with whether the Philippian believers were able to keep helping him. In fact, Paul was more concerned about their needs, which we'll see in our passage in a few moments today. In verse 11, we're kind of reviewing here. Right now we back up to verse 11 for a moment and we think about what we saw there. We saw that the believer who is content will be completely satisfied with God's provision. Little or much. Paul knew how to be satisfied with what God provided. That's a lesson we need to learn to be completely satisfied with what God provides. In verse 12, we saw that the believer who is learning to be content is learning to live above their circumstances. We see this in Paul's example. He's not complaining that he's imprisoned. He's not complaining that he's not being fed right. He's not complaining about the, the, the hard bed or maybe the lack thereof. <laughs> He's learned to live above his circumstances and not let his circumstances dictate his attitude or even dictate his gratitude. He's at peace. He knows that God is in control. He knows that God is managing his affairs. And we saw too that he knew how to keep his eyes on Christ even even when he had abundance. When he had more than enough, he did not take his eyes off of Christ. He did not begin then to rest in his own strength, his own, his own plans, his own ability to provide for himself. And then last week, in verse 13, we saw that the believer who is learning to be content is also learning that as he seeks to be obedient to Christ, he can be confident of the spiritual strength of Christ that Christ will give him when he most needs it. Obedience to Christ. It is so important that we think of Christ as our advocate and friend and also the one who guides us into the truth that we must obey. It is so important that, that we not think of Christ as some divine rescue chopper who swoops in and rescues us from troubled waters of our lives even, even though we're doing our own thing. At root, rebelling against His Word and the work of the Holy Spirit in us. 
God may choose in his mercy to spare us from some of the consequences of our rebellion, but he is not obligated to. And so we must pour the word of God into our lives. Instruct our hearts with the word of God. We must allow the word of God and the the spirit of God to take the word of God to communicate his truth to us so that we are constantly being changed. We never stop changing this side of heaven. Being obedient to God, following Christ, if we hope to know the contentment that is ours through the strength of Christ helping us. And so the ingredients for contentment seen in the life of of Paul, seen in the ministry of Paul, in the words of Paul as we hear them here, are that we'll, we'll be learning to be confident in God. That He is in control. We'll be learning to be completely satisfied with God's provision. We'll be learning to live above our circumstances and we'll be growing in confidence that we will have spiritual strength from Christ when we need it most. Now let's look at what's next. Look at what's next with me. Here's the fifth ingredient to contentment. We're going to pick up at verse 14 where we left off last week. In fact, we're going to look at verses 14 through 19 today. Here's the fifth ingredient. And here's what I want you to look for. If we're to know contentment as followers of Christ, we must learn to put others first. Look for that as we read the passage together. Follow along in your copy of God's Word as I read verses 14 through 19 from the English Standard Version. Verse 14, Paul writes, Yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the Gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, You sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the faith that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. What we find here from the life, ministry, And words of Paul is that the content believer is learning to put others first. Sometimes we miss this. More often than not, we miss this. We we struggle with this one. We think that we'll be more content if we have what we need. If I can get what I need, I'll be content. Sometimes we miss this. But look at what Paul says in verse 14. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. The Philippian believers had learned to put somebody else first. Previous to verse 14, Paul has told the Philippian church how he had learned to be completely satisfied and content. Now if you read that and you think, you might want to be careful, Paul. If you tell them that you're completely satisfied and content, they'll stop providing for your needs. They'll stop sending these gifts through Epaphroditus. To read that, you might think he should be careful not to lead them to believe that he was ungrateful for their support or that they they had gone to all that trouble for nothing. Uh, That wouldn't be good. 
These believers weren't that well off when it came to earthly things. They were giving to Paul generously, very likely very sacrificially. And so he says here in verse 14, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. He did need their support. He did need their encouragement. And God had used the generosity and concern stirred in the hearts of the Philippian believers to help Paul with his very real and present needs. And so he says here, you've done a good thing. This is helpful. This was necessary. But all along, Paul has confidence in God. He was satisfied with God's provision. He was learning to live above his circumstances. And he was confident in the power of Christ at work in him. But here he also says, thank you. Thank you. He certainly had needs. We see it here in verses 15 and 16. He says, look at them again, verse 15. No no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. And so they were the only ones who gave aid to him as he left for Macedonia. And then again, they supported him when he was in Thessalonica. And he's grateful. He is thankful for their generosity. But I want you to note the ultimate reason for his gratitude. There's something interesting here that we need to take note of. Look at verse 17. This may not be what we would, would allow to drive our gratitude. But Paul's perspective is different. We've seen this. Look at verse 17. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Remember back in verse 10 when we noted that Paul was rejoicing in the Lord over their gifts for his needs? Rejoicing in the Lord. Rejoicing in the Lord as the the true source of provision. That's, That's where Paul was putting his gratitude he was rejoicing in the lord he was grateful to these believers for providing for his needs but he didn't forget that it was god who was ultimately providing for his needs so he was rejoicing in the lord and here we see that his reason for joy is the fact that what they're doing for him is is ultimately for their own benefit he says here in verse 17 i seek the fruit that increases to your credit So Paul is more concerned with their spiritual profit than with his own needs being met. Now you can see from Paul's perspective how he is learning to be content by putting others first. What spiritual profit is this? It's what Jesus called laying up treasure in heaven in Matthew chapter 6. Listen to verses 19 and 20. You likely know these words very well where Jesus said, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. You see, Paul knew... That there's more spiritual gain in giving than in receiving. That's why he says here in verse 17, not that I seek the gift. Don't misunderstand me. I am so grateful for your giving and I needed it, 
But I don't seek the gift. What I really want, what I really long for, I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Putting others first here in Philippians 4 involves giving. And the fruit that increases to your credit involves their treasure in heaven. And the teaching of the Bible is clear that giving, putting others first, is better than receiving. We always say that, but sometimes we struggle with really meaning it. No, it's always better to give than to receive. But we really like to receive then, don't we? But we really need to hear this today. We need to be challenged by this. If we're going to learn to put others first, we really need to take to heart that there is, there is great blessing in giving over receiving. There is great blessing from God. There is great spiritual blessing. There are great treasures stored up for, for us in eternity. And we dare not get too attached to the things on earth. Otherwise, we forget about the wonderful blessings that are ours in Christ for all of eternity. We see here Paul talking about their giving. We see here Paul also talking about the fruit of their giving. So I want to think for a few moments about the biblical principles of giving, how important for us to grasp this, how to put others first in our giving. We see these biblical truths before us in God's Word, and it's important that we bring to bear biblical truths into our lives so that our lives are shaped by the truth of God's Word and not by our own perceived bright ideas. (laughs) Not shaped by the world or even by by tradition. We need to look to God's Word for the truth that proclaims to our hearts that this is how we ought to behave. In this case, this is how we ought to give. This is how we ought to put others first. So let's think for a few moments about the biblical principles of giving. We need these biblical truths. Otherwise, we might think, especially this time of year, that, that putting others first means spending a ton of money on people at Christmas time. No. In God's economy, putting others first means that we give to God's work. We give to advance the work of God. We give to advance the gospel. We give to advance His good purposes. And putting others first means that we give to support the advancement of the gospel. It's also meaning that that we, we give to help His people who have real needs. So here's what the Bible teaches. Let's think about this for a few moments. Let's think about what the Bible tells us about our putting others first through our giving. Listen to Proverbs 13:7. One pretends to be rich yet has nothing. Another pretends to be poor yet has great wealth. The idea here is that selfishly keeping God's blessings to yourself will find that what you have will in the end mean nothing, will be of no lasting value. You will be spiritually poor. You will be spiritually bankrupt. But the one who gives from all that he has, has far more. Even if he has very little to give from, if he gives from all that he has, he has far more. He will be spiritually rich. Proverbs 19.17 says this, Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. Lending to the Lord. Now that's, 
That's an interesting word picture, isn't it? Lending to the Lord. That's, that's a safe investment. Those who give from their heart, give to God, give to see His work proclaimed, His word proclaimed, and His work advanced. Those who give lend to the Lord. There's no risk involved in that. And yet, sometimes we act like there's great risk in doing that. There is great spiritual reward for the one who gives generously. We have God's word on it. Hebrews thirteen sixteen says, Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Those who share from what God has entrusted to their care, please the Lord. What you have has been given to you by God, has been entrusted to you by God, and you give from what you have, that is pleasing to the Lord. And know what Paul calls this here in chapter 4. He calls this kind of giving by the Philippian believers a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And you may think of your tithes and offerings as giving to keep the church operating. Or you might think of your giving to support missionaries, such as giving to meet the needs of the Wright family, which I mentioned this morning, as giving to people. Or you may think of your giving to meet the need of another believer as giving to a family member or close friend. But God sees your giving in a different light. God sees your giving as a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And that's how we need to learn to see our giving. That's how we need to learn to see what we do as we give. It's one of the reasons, it's maybe something you never thought about, but, but we talk about the way that we give and we talk about our worship. And this hour, especially as we take an offering, that is worship through giving. Hopefully you look at that as an act of worship to God. You want to glorify Him in the way that you manage the resources He has entrusted to your care. And you give from those to see God's work advanced. That's how we need to see our giving that, that is a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. That's, that's principle number one. Putting others first, giving from the heart, is a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. That's number one. Here's number two. Generous giving with no hidden agenda is a mark of your spiritual growth. Generous giving with no hidden agenda is a mark of spiritual growth. That's another principle of giving and putting others first. When we give to please God, that's a mark of our spiritual growth. When you find yourself giving with no strings attached, even keeping your giving a secret, doing it between you and the Lord, that's, that ought to be an encouragement to you that, that that's an indicator that God is working in your heart, growing you, changing you, maturing you. So challenge yourself. Am I giving willingly? And when I give, do I give willingly or do I give reluctantly? Are we giving so that others will think much of us? Or are we giving with a hidden agenda? Or are we giving, hoping that God will give back more than we've given? What Paul was so happy about was that the Philippian believers gave for the right reasons. 
Their generous giving, even out of their meager circumstances, was evidence of their spiritual growth, their spiritual maturity. That's the kind of giving that's pleasing to God. What the Philippians had given him had, had completely met his needs. and he was, he was grateful, but he was overjoyed that they were growing in Christ. And Paul says that their willing, generous giving is an offering to God, a sacrifice acceptable to God. And what is it that makes this kind of giving acceptable to God? Here's another biblical principle of giving and putting others first. Here's principle number three. Real giving, putting others first, flows from a willing heart. Giving that pleases God is an act of obedience, yes. And at some point in your life, you might find yourself giving because God says so. God says to give. And God says that we're to be cheerful givers. I'm going to give because that's an act of obedience. And yes, it is. But it is giving that flows from the heart that truly pleases and glorifies God. The attitude that pleases God is the attitude that gives without reluctance, without resentfulness. This is the believer in Jesus who gives as an act of worship to God. Giving to God's work. Giving to advance the cause of Christ. Giving so that God will be glorified. Not the one who's giving the gift being glorified. This is a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. I think of giving like that, and I think of something my my older brother Ken has said many times. He's a pastor in Taylor, Michigan. He challenges his people, never resist a generous impulse. That's the kind of giving that that honors God. The generous impulse that that says, I'm going to give this, and does it quickly before you change your mind. (laughs) That honors God. And the Bible tells us that something wonderful happens when we give, putting others first. When we give with willing, joyful hearts, giving with the right attitude. Luke chapter 6 and verse 38. This is principle number 4. Here's principle number 4 before I read the verse. God is a generous giver. God is a generous giver. Listen to Luke 6 and verse 38. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap, for with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. I love that passage. It's it's a wonderful word picture that, that shows us how gracious God is, how generous God is. With good measure. God gives. God is a generous giver. He gives pressing it down, shaking it together. Now it's running over. It's in your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. That's another biblical principle of giving and putting others first. God is always generous to those who give, who are putting others first from the heart. When we live by faith, when we put others first, God is always faithful and gives liberally and generously to us in return. 
So I know the next question is, so, Pastor, does that mean that if I give $1,000, God will give me $2,000 in return? (laughs) Is giving to God like a cosmic lottery that produces only winners? Let's be clear. When you're faithful to give, God is faithful to provide for all of your needs, all your true needs. You cannot outgive God, but you can't constrain God to your own idea of an economy either. God will never owe you, but He also desires that you be generous givers to His work and generous to His people in need. And God certainly expects you to provide for your families, but He is not pleased when you hoard for yourselves and you say, I can't give, I'm saving for all of these perceived needs. God knows what you need. He will provide for you. He is faithful and generous. He calls you to be a faithful and generous giver as well. The Lord may choose to bless you with more than you have given. God certainly can and has for many, but that's not why we should give. If you give with the attitude that you're hoping to double your money, then you're giving with the wrong motives. And you will not find contentment in that. God will not bless you with His peace and joy and contentment if you give with the wrong motives, nor will you have the Lord's blessing in the way that you give and in in the way that He gives. When you give out of obedience, when you give willingly, when you give cheerfully, when you give to God's work, when you share with people in need for God's glory, then God will bless you with His heavenly reward. And God may choose to bless you with more of this world's goods. But the real blessing, and we need to understand this, the real blessing is the eternal blessing. We tend to flip that upside down. We forget about the eternal blessing. We think the real blessing is the thing that that meets our needs here and now. And when God knows what we really need, and He may be putting the bulk of our blessing in the bank of eternity. The return the Lord gives is eternal. That's laying up treasure in heaven. And you have reason to believe with confidence that when you are faithful to give to God, putting others first, He will give to you to meet your needs. You can count on God to meet your very real needs. Note verse 19 here in Philippians 4. And my God, says Paul, will supply every need of yours according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Paul knew that he may not be able to return to them the kind of generosity that they had shown him. He knew with confidence, though, and from experience, that God would supply all of their needs. And I believe he also means physical needs here. By Paul's statement, we get the idea that the Philippian believers had given sacrificially, that they had given of everything that they had, even giving away some of the things that, looking on, others might have said, you, you need that, how can you give that away? But Paul makes it clear that God will supply all of their needs, and remember that God knew their needs, their very real needs. And the words, according to His riches, in glory, In Christ Jesus, those are instructive. Paul is saying that they will be provided for according to God's riches, not out of His riches. Get that. 
according to his riches, not out of his riches. Think of it this way. If a wealthy person gives you one dollar, he's given to you out of his riches. But if he buys you a home on the lake, he has bought you something according to his riches. He has given according to his riches. God's riches are glorious, and it's according to his glorious riches that he provides Oh, how we desperately need to have our perspective changed from the earthly to the eternal. And yet, at the same time, we depend upon the Lord to provide for the here and now. And we can trust Him in that. Believers in Jesus who give joyfully and willingly, putting others first to advance God's kingdom, will never die in poverty. Even if you never have much of this world's goods, you have eternal reward, you have eternal blessings that those without Christ cannot touch and have no way of understanding. And Paul says, my God will supply all of your needs according to His riches. Yes, God owns it all. And everything you have, God has given you and blessed you with to be good caretakers of for His glory. And yet, God has far more than what we think of as here on earth. Consider the evidence of this in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth and the first fruits of your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Proverbs 11, verse 25 says, A generous man will prosper. He refreshes others, will himself be refreshed. You can count on God providing for your needs, but you need to understand that God's economy is different than our economy here on earth. And He may literally Give us more than we know what to do with on this this earth, this side of heaven. And yet, we need to remember that He may not. And yet, at the same time, we have riches eternal that are overflowing, that are pressed down, that are shaken together and overflowing into our laps. We noted it earlier, Proverbs 13, 7. One pretends to be rich and yet has nothing. Another pretends to be poor and yet has great wealth. See, there's no such thing as out-giving God. God is more concerned with our attitude in how we give, more concerned with how we graciously give and that we give willingly and cheerfully and joyfully and generously than with, within how, how much it is. He, he isn't looking at us comparing, oh look, he gave that much and she gave that much and I like what she did far better than what he did. No, he's looking at the attitude. God will provide for your very real earthly needs and your eternal reward will be great. What better motive is there than to please God and to know that He's got us, He's taking care of us, we can trust Him, He's in control. What God desires of us above all is that we give putting others first with right motives. And when we do, then we will be learning contentment. Paul knew that there was great spiritual gain in putting others first. We need to learn that. 
If we long to be content, and I trust that we do, we just may not all express it the same way. We want to be content. Some of us go about it different ways. We need to come back to the truths of Scriptures to find the center, the target. Here's what we're aiming at. The right attitude. Great spiritual gain is ours in being generous givers, those who put others first. This is why God is so pleased with our gifts, not the gift itself. It's not the size of the gift. It's with the attitude with which we give. Paul knew this. This is why he was so pleased with these believers over their gifts, putting others first, giving for God's glory. It's one more necessary ingredient to know real, lasting contentment. We need to be those people who put others first, exercising it in the way that we give. It's a necessary ingredient to knowing contentment in a life lived for Christ. We need to see our lives that way, that we're living these lives not for ourselves. God has graciously given us life and breath and everything that we need so that we can proclaim Him, so that we can make Him known, so that we can bring Him great glory in this world. Oh, that we need to look at our priorities and adjust them and so that they are transformed with eternity in mind. That's real contentment. Pursuing those things that please the Lord, that honor Him, that make Him known. Putting others first is one of those ingredients that we need to get into our lives that we might honor Him, that we might glorify Him, that we might put those things in order, our priorities in order, that we might not spend all of our days trying to find contentment in the way that we store up things for ourselves when in truth what God has blessed us with, He has given us to give to meet the needs of others, to advance the cause of Christ, to make Him known. I hope that's your desire as we head into the Christmas season and we think of all the giving and may we truly give from the heart because Christ has given so much to us. May we give gifts at Christmas time to honor Him. But let's be careful that we don't let the culture around us shape the way that we give or the way that we think about our giving. God's idea of our giving is so different from the world's. God looks at our giving and He looks at the attitude behind our giving. He looks at how we give from the heart or whether we're giving from the heart. Now those gifts that we give with joy, with great gratitude to Him for His provision, those gifts that we give with eagerness to worship Him in the way that we give, God calls those. He looks on those as a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And you can trust God that He will provide. He will supply every need of yours according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus.